jumped out onto the midway. I was looking for the pirate ship when I saw this small old white tenant on the boat. It was blue and had white lights hanging on the boat. Decided to check out the tent. It seemed like I could hear music coming from inside. As I walked toward it, I passed a crowd of people in the sideshow. Everybody, we have very special guest David Pajo on the pod. David, thanks so much for coming. It's really great to talk to you. Oh, man, thanks for the invitation. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, man, I, I'm always trying to think of, um, you know, guests to ask that have impacted my life, like musically or culturally, since, you know, I started, like, growing my interest in all like pop culture music world. And I would say like in high school, I found Spiderland and that shit just changed my life. <laughs> oh, wow, man. That's, that's awesome. Like, uh, I, um, that's, I don't know. I feel, I was telling somebody this, uh, <laughs> just today that like, I feel I, I don't use Tinder or anything, but I feel like, Tinder should like one of the questions should be like, do you like Spiderland? Um, <laughs> you know, like, there should be a separate I app. Feel like, um, yeah. yeah. Cause, um, cause I feel like the people that like Spiderland, like uh, slim fans, I really, I, I literally have not met one that I don't like. And, and that's not just being like a, you know, like self congratulatory or whatever the word is. Like I, I actually, I feel like they're just cool, intelligent people, you know, that are, you know, emotional and, um, and it's, uh, but like, uh, like other bands I've played with some of their fans, I'd be like, eh, you know, <laughs> you know, um, I'm not, I don't think I could say that about, but like, um, yeah, I feel like, uh, Spiderland is almost like this divisive thing, but it, div it divides people in a cool way. It kind of filters out the people I don't know. And, uh, you know, I have, it filters out the people that I have something in common with, you know, mm -hmm. um, well and also like Spiderland, it's like you guys put it out and broke up like at, yeah. at the same time. Like I feel like the pressure of current projects and other bands you might have been involved with later as like technology and like the music industry evolved, there's like more pressure to like, you know, appease the audience. I feel like Spiderland, you guys were doing it for you. You weren't really like so much concerned with everything else like social media and like pushing all that shit and like 
I don't know, marketing campaigns are yeah. so different now and things like that, you know, man, I, I, um, moved to Los Angeles like five years ago and I'm still in Southern California, but I'm out of the city. Um, but like, I, uh, it seems like every like band is doing it the wrong way. I feel like, um, the, everyone's concerned with like likes and followers and social media and tours and albums and recording. And I feel like, um, you know, if Slint taught me anything, it's that, uh, none of that stuff is important. I mean, there's a, there's a, it's useful on some level, but it's secondary to just the, to the songs, you know, to me, it's all about just the songs and making the songs the best you can. Um, and yeah, these yeah. musicians are looking for like their five minutes to not like thinking about like putting out music that'll like have a legacy, you know? Yeah. And I don't think we were thinking about like, you know, breaking, being pioneers or anything like that. We just, we just wanted to, um, we just practiced like an insane amount and without any intention other than we knew we were going to record at some point, you know, but um, there was no rush, you know, it was like, uh, and it wasn't about being popular or anything or making money. It was just, it was just to make, you know, to, once we had that shot at recording to make the best, uh, to have like the best songs we could make at that point. And so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't unheard of to spend, you know, and you know, a week of practicing every night for hours, like just on these, this three second part of the baseline, you know, <laughs> like, uh, like, yeah. um, and then go around and, and then end up not using any of the ideas, you know, like it was just about, it was more about just, uh, you know, just practicing and songwriting. And, and I feel like that's um, a lot of people overlook that. They just, they kind of, uh, they, they put too much importance on all the, uh, the exterior stuff. And, and to me, it's all about the song. Um, so uh, I'm glad I had that experience because, uh, you know, all the other stuff, I see the importance of it for sure, but um, it's not as, it's, it's, it, I do feel like it's, um, you know, secondary and it's not as important as everyone says it is. Um, or in gear and stuff like it's, you can have the shittiest gear and like, as long as it's really, you can, it's all about the songs, you know? I, um, I remember seeing a clip of Rage Against the Machines, like first public performance when no one knew who they were. And they're, they're all kids. I think, I, I don't know exactly how old they are. And they're playing songs off their first album. And it's like as tight as them at like Woodstock 99 or whatever. Like they, they are like in the pocket. They are, they're completely like there's that you, you wouldn't be able to tell that this is like a no name band. And like, I don't know. I feel like that, uh, that you just know, like when you're listening to musicians, um, sometimes the musicians or bands or records have this like mythical quality to them. And yeah. people are like, what, what sets that album apart? What sets that band apart? And like, almost always, it's just the fact that they practice more than the other bands. <laughs> they put more rehearsal yeah. time or in. They're ha tighter. Having like having a vision with it. Like yeah. I was listening, I was listening to you uh, on Damien from fucked up's podcast from a couple of years ago, uh, the turned out a punk. And you were talking about like Danzig with misfits and like how he had like, 
a vision that he carried through like all the way through his career like people that yeah. can see and know what they want to do with something you know that are like truly like touched artists like I, I watched like Lance Bang's like the breadcrumb trails documentary for the Slint album and it's like Brit kind of had like he kind of like had like a vision and I feel like you know everybody being so close and young and like picking up on their skills and really like honing in it's like there was the time to get to the place where you saw where you wanted it to be and yeah. a lot of people you know they have talent but they don't know where to take it and that's like very important yeah yeah i mean it's it's weird because i i do feel like there was um a certain amount of magic that happened on that record that we could never do again like um if uh, you know, cause we've, we have discussed, you know, the idea of, uh, if, we, you know, I think it came up that if we ever wanted to tour again, I think all of us are pretty fried on those six songs on Spiderland. Like, um, uh, and I, and I still love the songs, but I, uh, we, we were like, we'd have to, we, we should probably have new material. And we've, we have talked about like, you know, it, you know, years ago, like about it. And, um, uh, and I think we all kind of were like, it, it would never, it would not be Spiderland, you know, whatever we did. I don't think it would suck, but it, you know, we'll never do a Spiderland again. You know that. Didn't you guys like get together after and get back together and go to like a cabin and start working on material and it was like jazzier. Oh or, yeah. Like, we, um, I don't remember it being jazzier, but we did, uh, yeah, it's so weird. We broke up and then it must have been six months later we were practicing again, just me, Britt, and Brian over the summer. Um, and the original it, LCD sound system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, um, but it was like just working on song ideas, you know, and um, I, I, it, nothing came of that. We, we had planned to go to a cabin and that never happened. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just... Um, I, I have recordings on tape of, of that stuff. The songs are really cool. And, uh, and I think it really was like an extension, like a, the next step after Spiderland because Spiderland is just a photograph, you know, it was like, we were always like in a state of evolution and that was just like where we were at that, at that point in time. Um, was it like straight to like doing like the King Kong and palace stuff right afterward for you? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Cause that was all our, that was our crew. And, um, so, and it didn't feel weird to, to play on, to play with Ethan again, you know, and it didn't feel weird to play music with Will, uh, and, and every, I don't think, I think people were expecting like another slint or like, but like with King Kong, we were all, I think, I think, uh, I played drums on that first single and Brian may have, uh, uh, I think Britt maybe played guitar and Brian did the wah-wah pedal or something like <laughs> it was, uh, and he did some vocals. Um, so it, and with palace brothers, we switched instruments. Like I think Brian McMahon played drums. Um, Britt played guitar and I played bass or, you know, it was all, we just, it, it wasn't going to sound like slint because we weren't even <clears throat> playing uh, the instruments we played in slint, you know? Um, so it was, you know, it was, uh, uh, th that was just like within our crew, but like, um, I, I feel like slint is just one, like, a 
phenomena that just can't exist again, you know, because um, because it, it was we were always like in a state of evolution, you know, and it was um, uh, like it. The, the cool thing about that documentary, and I'm just going to say this real fast, is that I never thought about um, how we, you know, almost, like practice for a year for sure, maybe more than a year, um, and just working on these, these songs. It was actually five songs because um, Donnie Mann was done, like we heard it for the first time in the studio. Like we just did that in the studio. Um, and we, so we practiced almost every night for a year or more and then we but we recorded in two weekends like from friday night to monday morning and then the same thing i think if not the next week weekend then the weekend after that so it was like we worked really hard on the songs and then busted a mountain recording i don't know why uh, any of like we weren't like maybe we should spend time on the recording <laughs> it was just we just wanted to you know, get it down as fast as possible um because we had such a small budget uh, in it. Um, and I never thought about that. Like, why would a band do that? Like, work so hard on these songs and then be like, <laughs> go with whatever take they did in the studio without m- making too much, too many mistakes. So, um, and I have no answer other than um, we, were, we were all a little crazy, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> That's what it takes, you know? So like. how, how does it feel, um, and I feel like you guys all talk about this in your own way in that film, which uh, I also watched, but uh, now, because that, even that film was made a while back. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it, it wasn't, you know, it was years ago. How does it feel, because you describe it as a transitional, like the band was always in metamorphosis, and it was sort of like this, like you're always like, you know, you were never too focused on like, you know, one specific idea or sound. Like, so how does it feel like when one record takes on this, like sort of like mythology and like grows into this, like sort of like thing that's still, still attracting new fans like today, like young, like young people are still resonating with that album today. Uh, it's almost like timeless in a, in a certain way, but so sure. how, do, how does that sit with your your experience of it being just one record that that happened in one moment of time? Man, you 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 said it really well. I mean, I it's the weirdest. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm super thankful, but it is really a strange feeling. That's like it's like if somebody was like um, obsessed with. Uh, two weekends you spent in, in one month in, um, when you were in college or, or, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, you have to keep thinking back to that time. And, uh, it's cause I feel like there really was just like a moment, a, a blip in our lives, you know, which easily could have been forgotten. You know, I, I assumed when we did it, um, that it would be forgotten for sure. <laughs> um, right. It, you didn't predict coming on this podcast in uh, however many years. It's also funny because like the exact same time, like even like the same year, it's like kind of similar. Another like album that I became obsessed with around the time that I found Spider-Land was like my buddy Valentine's loveless. And it's like the opposite. It's like one album masterpiece band forever that like is iconic but he spent like years in the studio like perfecting mm-hmm. it's like you guys figured it out like 
cost effectively. You never bankrupt <laughs> creation records, you know, yeah, without destroying too many people's lives. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a good point. I didn't realize. Did that come out in ninety one, or was it recorded I, in? I think I think it was ninety. I think it came out in ninety, but it might yeah. have come out in ninety one. That's same with us. Yeah, we recorded in ninety, and it came out in ninety one. Um, but I. Uh, yeah, that's a good point because that is the exact opposite. Like, because I talked to one of the engineers from that record, one of the 16 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he was the main one, but he said it was like that. Like, they would spend forever getting the right guitar sound, and then he would do the take, and it would be one take and over, and that's it. Um, <laughs> but they would, they would spend, you know, days trying to get that one sound and then spend no time on the take. And for us, what's the opposite? Right. We, we spend no time on the t- um, uh, getting the sounds or anything. We just set up and did it. You know, if we didn't make a mistake or, or, or if like we did, if we made, if no one noticed that we made a mistake, then we would move on to the next song. You know, it was like, it was all yeah. about just tracking it as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, and you guys practice it. You had it like, you guys were like a tight machine, like even watching the live shows, you guys didn't move around. It was like clear you were paying <laughs> paying attention to what you were doing, making sure there were as little like errors as possible every single time. Yeah. That's so funny too, because um yeah, because I I I forgot like how much concentration those songs take. And they're not like it's not because they're super difficult necessarily. Um some of the like some of the arrangement kind of stuff is I have to really think about and like, I have to think ahead, like what, what's coming up next. And, you know, Oh, I play, I play this, like, I don't know, 11 and a quarter times this time, you know, like something yeah. crazy. Um, but I, it is, a, some of that stuff was hard to keep straight for certain songs, but like, uh, but like I can, you know, especially like back then, I was a better guitar player back then, but I could play like in my Malmsteen kind of shredding and stuff. And, but the hardest thing was to play, um, I, I think it's in uh, Good Morning Captain, where I just play a harmonic and I move it like one fret over a course of like a minute or, a, or like 90 seconds or something. Uh, but I have to be really even about that movement and I have to, and I'm thinking about the space in between each plucked note, you know, so it takes all my concentration not to, f- if I, if I like hit this note too hard too, it'll stand out too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's, t- it's really, hot. it's way harder. I, you know, it's way Those harder. Songs, than I remember. There's like so many like subtle, like vulnerable moments that are like so specific. It has to be like at the right time. I imagine it takes like all of your focus to make sure you nail it every time the way you did on the record, you know, cause you're playing them years later now when you guys yeah. do your reunions every now and then. But, um, I imagine it's like, you yeah. want to, to sound exactly what people are expecting. So it takes a lot of, uh, concentration. Yeah. 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 For sure. And I mean, I, I don't even know if I concentrated that much when I did that stuff. Like I, I feel like, um, but you know, even the like Spiderland, like none of us could listen to it for super long. Um, I know I couldn't listen to it for at least a decade, you know, uh, just cause, and I'm not even, I think, I don't know if it was like, a um, because there was so much emotionally wrapped up in it for other band members. But for me, I only heard the mistakes. Like to me, it was never a perfect record to me. 
Um, like I'd be like, oh, fuck, Bert was supposed to hit the snare there, or I was supposed to hit that harmonic. And, um, you know, it was, always, it was really frustrating to listen to. And we played that song too fast. And, um, but like, uh, but now I can appreciate it for what it is, you know, like now I see how other people see it. Um, well, playing it every day for a year, of course, it's like there's, there were probably so many little variations that, changed over time and then like you know put getting in the studio real quick and getting out you're like man it's not like the fourth time we fucking played it like we had (laughs) you know but also like i feel like right now we're kind of you know giving a lot of praise to spiderland and talking about how it had a legacy but i also want to like make a point that you've been involved in like several albums that have that feel to them like recently I saw, you know, there was the pitchfork thing about the tortoise millions like record turning right. 25 and same to me, like that album, like found it maybe like a year or two after I found the slint record and like tortoise blew my mind that and TNT, like those are also oh, wow. like changing records and in, in a whole yeah. different way, you know? We have similar tastes then, I think. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, touch and go. I'm like, you know, I, I grew up like loving all that. Like the Albini. We always, we've had a couple like Albini uh, collab, like people that have worked with him on before. And we always ask. And for some reason, when I think about it, it's like he's touched probably a large chunk of maybe my top 50 records, like whether directly or indirectly in yeah. some way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Steve was definitely like a, a presence and I feel like he was part of our, our, our gang, you know, <laughs> like, um, and it wasn't, uh, it was, I, it's hard to think about back then because things were just so different, you know, and like now bands like, um, Sonic Youth or uh, Swans or whatever aren't obscure, but in 1985 they were, you know, um, or the late 80s. Uh, like there were, if you like, people talk about the 80s being so great. Um, the 80s were fucking awful. Like they sucked so badly. <laughs> the 80s were all the really bad 80s films. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what the the mass of people actually looked like it was all like the mainstream culture yeah mm-hmm. uh, it was disgusting <laughs> i hated it back then you know um uh but you know but i was definitely a i you know i was a i was a product of that you know like i've uh, that's i don't know if i've said it in the slint documentary but i think people forget that uh slint were an 80s band too we weren't a 90s band mm-hmm. um, Cause we were broken up by the time the nineties started, you know? Um, well, it was also like easier back then because the culture was, it's probably equally as niche, but you actually had to look for it to find it. It wasn't just like fed to you the way it is now. So like, like you were saying on the, the podcast with Damien, like when you met Will Oldham, you, he was introduced as like the kid that knew every Ramones lyric and you're like, okay, <laughs> he gets it. There's like fewer yeah. chances. Like you meet someone now with a Ramon shirt and you're like, cool shirt. And they couldn't name a song. But <laughs> yeah, back yeah. then it's like, it, it carried weight. Like if you met someone that knew who Husker Du was, you're like, okay, you, you did some digging and you found something cool that I also found, you know, yeah. let's connect. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just was- one of those people that'll stop someone on the street and ask them their favorite Ramon song. <laughs> 
just the way yeah. he goes. <laughs> yeah. They're wearing a remote <laughs> shirt. He's like, quick, name the target. four names on your shirt without looking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't even know if I could do that. Neither <laughs> can I, honestly. Just because I have a shitty memory. Um, I just, I, I quizzed them on the DD rap record. I'm like, come on, if you can't, if you can't freestyle, just jump into his lyrics, then we can't, we can't vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so like, um, yeah, if you, if, somebody liked a band like wire you were like you know you wanted to talk to them you know it was like a bonding thing i guess um yeah another thing with will also is that his brother was in like local in in like louisville punk bands and stuff so it was like the little like this is ned's younger brother um you know so it was it, it did seem like uh it was a a family back then, you know, like it was a family well, people and Steve was part of it for sure. Ned was in Maurice too, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I joined Maurice, um, in 85 or late 84, I can't remember. Uh, they had already been a band for a couple of years. Like, uh, the squirrel bait guys had spent time in Maurice. Like all, um, it seemed like every there, yeah, there were already like a band and I was just like, I, I kind of took it over with my sound, you know, with my guitar style or something. Like, um, well, even that, it's so crazy that like, you know, this like little family, so many like unique artists, even with Squirrel Bait, like David Grubb stuff, like so many like artists with different visions that went in different ways, but kind of like have like unified sound, but it's not necessarily like only of a scene, like the grunge Seattle stuff, like, yeah, because you know all the like, con- like between Will and Slint, Squirrelbait, and all of this stuff, it's like diverse, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think there's. I think that's another surprising thing is like you might people might find out about Louisville bands through Slint or, um, and then be surprised that like outside of like Rodan and June of Forty Four or like a a later scene that that happened, um, uh, like they you know, none of the bands that around at the time that Slint was around didn't sound like us. And, and, uh, you know, King Kong doesn't sound like Slint who don't sound like palace brothers. Uh, you know, it's, um, I, and I think I I'm super happy that I grew up with that edge, you know, education because it seemed like back then, um, it was a, it was a badge of honor to not sound like any other band. You know, it was, if you, you know, if you sounded too much like Black Sabbath or something, people would just be like, well, hell, I'll just listen to Black Sabbath. Like, why do I, <laughs> like, you yeah. totally stole that riff from Sabbath, you know, or, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it, there was sort of a, it, but it, it, but if you sounded like yourself, uh, it was really encouraged and, um, in, yeah, it's celebrated, you know? So uh, I, I feel lucky that I was in that kind of world where it wasn't like, um, cause I do feel like there are scenes where everyone's just like, oh, I'm going to sound like the Stooges or the Velvets or, um, or the Ramones or, you know, like, um, everyone's sort of, and that seems acceptable. Like in, in Louisville, at least in my group of friends, you would have a lot of explaining to do, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, um, so. and also like touch and go kind of like they, every band that they, or artists that they put out nobody else sounds like them and they don't 
collect artists that all sound the same either. Like they kind of have a touch and go sound, but it's like there aren't other big blacks, there aren't other slints, like there aren't mm-hmm. other tortoises, there aren't other like sea and cakes, and they're all kind of like have a touch and go element that you're not going to find anywhere else really. Yeah. Yeah. And that was sort of the, the, uh, the line of thinking back then, a lot of the homestead bands back then were the same way, you know, it, like, uh, Daniel Johnston came out on homestead. Um, mm. and so did, uh, <laughs> I know I'm spacing out on who else came out on homestead, but there was like a, you know, there was not a, there was like a touch and go sound like it create there was a sound in your head i feel like that touch and go was a part of uh but it, in the same way that like drag city is like that too like it's very, yeah. it's very esoteric the bands um it's like a little bit both of them are like drag city and touch and go i feel like it's like indie rock but it's a little bit more intellectual like you get the sense that the musicians have like a sense of music theory yeah. They're not just, you know, <laughs> yeah, like touch and go and drag city, I would say, because, oh, yeah. you know, th- there's crossover uh, in like the fans. And I definitely think it's like thinkers, indie rock kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, and I, I, I really love that. You know, I feel like there's, um, especially with punk and stuff back at that time. Uh, if you, if, if anything had like a whiff of intellectualism, it was like, um, <laughs> you know, people would uh, thought you were being pretentious or something. And, it, and I think um, like touch and go bands and yeah, and just a lot, a lot of people in, in that world uh, tried to walk that line where it's um, you could uh, you could like have aspirations of um, that, that weren't totally moronic, you know, and, and, uh, but you had to kind of have one foot in the, in the world where you weren't, uh, where you weren't special. It didn't make you special or you weren't better than anybody else, you know? Um, it, you talk it, about it, like back then, um, like pretension and music. I'm like picturing like John Zorn in high school eating lunch alone at, at a table. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's um yeah, Big Black is is one of those bands that um I I listened to Lungs recently and I um I still can't believe it. I know Steve hates that record or uh but like he came out of the box with his vision. Same like like he and I know he would probably hate being compared to Danzig, but like it really is like this the guitar sounds are alien, the the lyrics are violent and uh, and really, um, really cool and bizarre. Like if you, like you would listen to it and be like, who is this freak that made this album? Like I, I they're, they're, they're a serial killer or something. You know? like, um, it, yeah. And just the fact that he could do that on a four track all by himself back in whatever, 81 or something. It's like, I, that record still blows my mind, you know?
city are you guys in again? I know you told me and I spaced out. We're in New York. We're uh, um, I'm in Brooklyn. They're in Ridgewood, Queens. Right on. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, what is um, what is the COVID like right now in New York? Like, um, it's it's still it's, there. It is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, you know, it was since New York was like the first like like mega super center area, um, the epicenter. It was scary at first. Like my girlfriend was at my apartment for the first three weeks, which started. So I was bartending and the night I was bartending, um, they announced like the next day, all restaurants and bars were going to close. So I had an idea. I went and bought, like, I didn't like, like, you know, I wasn't like, a, like hoarder with like materials like a planned situation but i went and bought like groceries and stuff i figured i'd be like at my apartment for like a month or two you know uh my roommate was still working coming and going and my girlfriend's roommate was here with her boyfriend at her apartment and wow. you know i we walked down pretty hard i didn't really go anywhere i went on a couple walks like around the block but we stayed inside the whole time. And then over the summer, uh, when the numbers started going down, I feel like people got more comfortable and were out and about more. And it, right. it stayed in, it's kind of in the middle now. Like some people have gone back to how it was originally. And some oh, people yeah. are acting like it's nothing. And I am terrified. <laughs> yeah, that sounds bad. I'm going to go Queens, like where the shit really hit the fan. Yeah. Yeah. I it mean, was, we, it's a little North of where we live, uh, the um, neighborhood, but yeah, I mean, it was literally, I know, like, I know where that is. Like, like, all, like that big article came out in the New York times yeah. or whatever talking about it. And it really hard to visualize or even like ground yourself in reality when you're reading about stuff like that, that's happening not a mile or two away from where you are, right. um, mm-hmm. especially when all you've been doing is sitting in, indoors and not really going outside very much. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, like Jeff said, it's, it's this weird dissonance because the city wants to pretend like COVID's over uh, you know, they're, they're reopening indoor dining uh, and concerts. And I, concerts. I mentioned they're, they're going to do concerts yeah. soon. It's, blows my mind uh, almost trying to kill everybody (laughs) we don't like him on this podcast we are anti cuomo um yeah it's it i mean it's just like it's it's really not it's not it's not very fun to think about like these people in charge are it's it's really all about uh getting the gears grinding again there's really there's an acceptable amount of death and destruction they're willing to sacrifice um, I know that's that's fucked up. It's really I, fucked. I um, I have a, a good friend that lives in Queens, and he's been laying low ever ever since this started. You know, like mm-hmm. back in March, he was he, he's um he's basically just been in this little apartment and on like the fifth floor of a building, and he sees friends by they come down and wave to him. You know, like yeah, right. he gets out on yeah. a little balcony and waves back, and mm-hmm. it's really um. I mean, 
I, I'm, I'm so happy that he's doing it right, you know, like, but it's so frustrating too when, when you've been doing it right for so long and you see all these people partying and spitting in each other's mouths and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just have to keep that image going for this podcast. Yeah, there's there's, there's a huge mouth spitting scene in New York. Uh, our <laughs> yeah, listeners, if you don't live here, you might not be aware. There's a huge underground <laughs> scene. It's a big part of nightlife. There's yeah. no, it's just, you just get in line and you just, trade you're just I, swapping spit back and forth i heard yeah. unfortunately i think the, that's the protected under like the uh, like the religion category <laughs> yeah so it's allowed <laughs> some loophole you can have 25 yeah. percent spitting capacity yeah um yeah, but you're right i mean you're you're right i mean go to any show any diy show any drag show you're you're right up against all sorts of people in some random basement bar or some some venue and it's sweaty and you're kind of like sweating all over each other and breathing on each other. And it's when there's not a pandemic going around, it's fun and it's, uh, it's, it's a big social element of it. But, uh, I think it's going to take a while to get used to this is, I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, of course, but you know, even watching films or movies or documentaries from that were filmed years ago, I still am like, what are they? What are they doing? Are they hanging out together? Not wearing a mask. Yeah. You know, I was watching. I watched the Paris Hilton uh, documentary uh, the other day, and uh, it's all footage from like 2018, 2019, I guess. And she's like going on tour. She's like meeting her fans at the airport. She's like doing a thing. And I'm like, I'm like, what is she doing? And I'm like, wait, this is literally old footage. This is like, this is from years ago. But like, it's still, it's still, it's gonna take a yeah. while, I think, to so until that little like man in our head starts to fade away a little bit. It's, it's kind of, yeah, yeah. it's been long enough. But it, I think it's like the, um, you know, COVID fatigue has kicked in for everybody too. And then, um, but for the people like my friend in, in Queens, like they, they're just dragging it out for him. <laughs> yes. know, like, in addition yeah. to all the other shit and people dying and stuff, you know, it's like, it's like the people that have been, uh, doing it right like they get frustrated because they want to party too you know like they and they see other people out having a good time and having dinners together and yeah. indoors and i don't know man it's like a, a, a it's it's got to be frustrating but but new york seems to have done a good job like as far as overall it seems like decent i mean i was talking to my mom like two nights ago and I'm from Florida. So my parents are in Florida and she is 64 and the age for vaccines is 65. She turned Uh 65 in May. So she is like, my dad already got it. And my mom um, is like trying like, you know, cause she's like, maybe if I like sign up now, by the time I'll be on the list, I'll be 65 by the time they hit me up. But she was telling me that like, in Florida, 65 and up is the only category that they're giving it to. Like essential workers don't get it. People that are working don't get it. And I'm like, in New York, you know, if you have to be out to help the, you're help, you're out to help the economy. You're not like a martyr for the economy. Like if you have to be out, those people should be on, be on the list to get it. Like why they could change it at any time. Why aren't they changing it? Like Florida, what the fuck are they doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. When when you say a martyr to the economy, I think that's the answer right there. That's what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck that, dude. Fuck corporations, (laughs) dude. Fuck capitalism. Oh, my God. 
I mean, yeah. that being said, we are uh, we are launching a Patreon. <laughs> so, well, uh, that's you know, it's people's choice to give us know. five dollars a month. You know what I mean? It's up <laughs> to them. They can cancel. We're doing it, it but we're not competing. We're not competing with anybody. We don't. We don't give a shit. You know, that's that's uh, our stance. Sometimes, um, I, like I'm not into the conspiracy theories really at all, but um, sometimes I wonder if like. I'm just like, man, Russia is just winning. You know, they tried to sow discord and they they won. You know, there's discord everywhere. I think there's enough so bad that, actors in the United up. States government that Russia doesn't really need to do any extra yeah. work f- for us. They already, everyone's already, uh, everyone's already hard at work in our very know. halls of Congress. You know, you yeah. say bad actor, Aaron, but have you seen Uncut Gems? He's pretty good. He, yeah, you're <laughs> you right. know what I mean. Yeah, he is a good actor. <laughs> No, but yeah, it's, I mean, the, the Russia stuff is hilarious because it's, it's, it just comes from this point of, uh, our hallowed institution could, could never do something so corrupt. It must be this other terrible country. Also it's the eighties again, somehow we're, we're afraid of Russia again. Uh, when in fact, all you need to do is look directly (laughs) at, at your own backyard. It's, you know, and totally. what, what, what are we they trying to preserve need, here in in the United States? You know, besides they capitalism, just need to inc- they need to include VPNs in the next stimulus. Yeah, yeah right. Free, free give VPN. a VPN to every every American. Yeah, you know, I don't need I don't need twelve hundred dollars VPN for a year is a hundred. So <laughs> just buy me a VPN for life, and I'm set. Yeah, start torrenting stuff. Yeah, finally, I sort of, yeah, I sort of feel like I'm my attitude has become just to like keep keep my like in you know my house my where i live and my my little pod safe and i'll just watch the world burn around me you know like i'll just A watch it bit. and see how it all plays out you know i mean yeah, yeah. at the end of the day what 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 can you do and it's out of our control it's, it's and I, yeah. I feel like that's kind of uh, in character like i feel like my my impression of your type of personality you're like an observer like you're always like posting pictures of the moon like looking at things from like yeah. a different angle so like it's i feel like that's fitting like you're like watch the world burn from a hill you know yeah. i mean what <laughs> else can you fu- what else can you do that's how right. we all feel often in our apartments you know <laughs> i kind of feel like i mean if everybody did that, things would be pretty good, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There'd be, no cha- there'd be no chaos to watch. Yeah, Everyone would yeah. just, like, wait it out, you know? Yeah. And, if you know, there'd be no loud mouths and stuff, like, because everyone's just quietly watching. <laughs> Maybe the observer standpoint is what we the world needs right now. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's funny. I think me, Jeff, and Aaron were all very much people who would like go out and go to shows all the time or go to bars to hang out with each other or etc. I feel like I've almost become weirdly content with just being at home. It's like, uh, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just having a good time now at this point. There's, yeah. there's, there's nothing to measure it against anymore because it feels like everything else is so far away at this point. To me, yeah. like music is recorded. <clears throat> That's where you see it now. That's mm-hmm. where it's at. You, right. you, you listen to an album. That's about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, man. Um, I feel like we're all gonna flip out when we hear live music again. <laughs> You're like, yo, you got you guys can do that. You can, you can that? do it by yourselves <laughs> on a stage. Yeah. What? You guys can do that? <laughs> You're allowed to do well, that. I I feel like people are also finding unique ways. Like I was gonna say, like in the beginning of the pandemic, you did the live stream like duet with Will, like with Will Oldham, and that was pretty cool. Like some cool, like I feel like a lot of artists think 
live streaming is kind of corny, but I've seen a couple artists embrace it really well. Like I feel like um, uh, Lou Barlow, like his Instagram, he he was going like live, like pretty regularly for a while, like engaging with fans, playing covers and requests. And like, that's fun, you know? And, you know, they have the tip jar, but they don't expect it and they're going to do it anyway. And it's cool to see people's home life and how they're experiencing the pandemic too. Like people you admire. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was going to say, there's almost like this weird, like digital intimacy that exists now. Cause we just see everybody like in the spaces that they inhabit. And that's where yeah. like everyone does. It's like we're doing this podcast and we can see like all the art on your walls. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> I, there's, there's um, one of Will's duets where, uh, he was, he sang, well, uh, his friend sang and played guitar, uh, but he was holding his daughter and they were both sitting on a trampoline and it was, you know, like there's all kinds of, um, like glimpses into one's interior life, you know, like that people can do. And some people I feel like I don't want to see, but, totally. um, <laughs> but, uh, and I don't like, like I did, I did a, like a live streaming show where, uh, it was just in my kitchen, you know, and it was like definitely like very candid almost to a fault because I had like an ant invasion at the time. The whole time there were like ants crawling up my wall behind me and people were probably like, what kind of like, what kind of abandoned house does this guy live? <laughs> <You know? laughs> or they were like, wow, um, what amazing art direction. He bought yeah, these ants yeah. off the internet to to illustrate yeah. his, his house. That was he just tagged, d- directed right. by David Lynch. Yeah, David the, Lynch the directed a video yeah. title. <laughs> yeah. I should have had like a, a woman dressed in only, uh, you know, slices of bread or something walk walk past, you know, just for one, one frame. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> right. Some strobe lights flashing intermittently. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Lynch, it's like you don't want to get too close to the Lost Highway vibe with all the fucking Marilyn Manson shit coming out nowadays. Oh my God. Dude, that yeah. shit's fucking crazy. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I haven't been keeping up with that at all. Like, um, what what is it? Is it like cancel, can, cancel culture stuff? Or Well, yeah, he, yeah. A lot of women have come out to say that they were like really abused by I, I haven't read any details, but this happened. I feel like this has been happening periodically with him. And a lot well, of other people as well, like Joss the, Whedon. Um, Joss Whedon has been in the news recently, and every time it happens, I'm like, wait, didn't this happen last year too? Like, didn't people speak up last year? I feel like Marilyn Manson had the same thing, where like some people spoke up and it didn't really go anywhere, but now even more people are speaking up that he was like really abusive to them, and and it's, well, yeah. So the actress uh, Evan Rachel Wood came out and she spoke. I want to say like. In like to Congress or the Senate in 2018 about like an she spoke about being in an abusive relationship but didn't name her abuser but she was like famously engaged to Marilyn Manson in the past so it was assumed but recently she came out on Instagram and named him and then I think even now is still like sharing lots and lots of stories every day of people that have reached out to her and um, you know he the word is that like he finds people and grooms them. And then like, he's very interested in like mind control and that type of like stuff. And it gets dangerous. Mm -hmm. And my partner, uh, 
maybe like a year or two ago, I remember she bought his book, like an autobiography he wrote. And she was telling me he admits to like tons of terrible things in that book, like admits to like rape and torturing people. And apparently he made like a, like a doc, a documentary in the nineties about like, about doing this to like fans. And I think he called, I think the movie was called like groupie. And it's like about like torturing fans of his, but only three people have seen the movie. And it's really weird. It's like him, the director. And for some reason, don't ask me why, because this is immediately what I asked my girlfriend when she told me, I was like, why him? But Andy Dick is the only other person who has seen it. (laughs) Like, what the fuck is that? What does that mean? Someone's got to do a Pepe Silvia uh, investigation (laughs) into that connection. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, Jeez. I feel like it's all coming out. And my partner also, she's been keeping up with it. And she sent me a screenshot of one of the women that came forward. And the way she worded the story, there was just like one line at the bottom. And it's like, I can't believe I let him do this to me while he was at his fattest. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God. What, it was um, like really funny for some reason. I don't know. It's very Not to be, dark. <laughs> Not to be uh, body shaming, but it was just like a random little factoid at the end of a very serious paragraph of text. Oh, my God. Yeah. I I wonder the same thing. Like, how could that girl, like, why did that girl date me? I was like, never weighed more at that time. I was like, <laughs> I'm like I, was, I was so fat. How could she like me? You know, which I, I, yeah, I don't know if that's, I hope it's not body shaming, but I do wonder the similar things from the opposite side. <laughs> you know? Well, you're also not like, like abusing people and like mind controlling mind control, them. Yeah. Like, I think it's I, more I, of I the heard, mind control seems to be the main issue here. Not the, well, not I read something shaming. that like they, <laughs> they the said, Ma- <laughs> they said Manson was like very interested in like listening to like, like hit old Hitler tapes, things like that oh, about like God. control, yeah. like, like learning how to like break somebody and like make them do what you want and shit like that. And it's like, this seems public and stuff. And I get like after Columbine, it's like he was in the Bowling for Columbine movie, like talking down on how people were associating him with like school shooters and the music doesn't make people do it. But it's like, yeah, but at the same time, you were also like raping people. So like, you know, I don't know what, I mean, I, he's, I don't understand the whole like um, sort of fetish culture, I guess, uh, around his vibe, you know, um, like, you know, there are people that like play out rape fantasies and stuff and um, are the whole dominant submissive stuff. Like I, I never saw 50 shades of gray or whatever, you know, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand that whole world and how much of it is consensual and, um, and how you gauge when it's consensual. It, it, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like that's, I, I don't have like a much of an opinion really. Cause just cause I, it seems also alien to me. Um, well, it's also like, where's your limit? Like with the other, big story coming out now is that dude army hammer that oh yeah who who is like texting like cannibal fantasies to people and it's like they're still they're still they're still like there's still new information coming out like i'm following the instagram and twitter account that's leaking the information and it's a previous victim of his 
who he had a relationship with where he was like the master slave relationship. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, they both were getting off on like how terrible it was, but she's leaking information that like him and his other friends have like a whole community and they have like businesses that they like fake businesses to channel things through and that they're potentially like allegedly have murdered like many people. What? His, his thing coming out is just scratching the surface of what's about to come out. Well, the 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 I haven't been following this as closely as you, Jeff. But I did. Well, this is I've like never two even days heard of this. This before. is this is all new. Like yeah. I read this like two days ago. But all it's I like know, all leaked. I know is that some texts of his leaked of him doing cannibal fantasies, and it was not not entirely clear from what I read whether it was like consensual or not. But it seemed obviously like alarming. But then his publicist dropped him and like his uh manager dropped him or something just like and he dropped out of a he dropped out of a jennifer lopez movie yeah (laughs) so like like if your publicist and like spokesperson or whoever the title is if they drop you like what is about to drop like what is gonna come out you know that it must be bad it must be bad if if your publicist is gonna drop you preemptively you know what i mean yeah yeah they're (laughs) <laughs> they can't spin it. Yeah, they can't. Right. Man. Cause I mean, people are dirty fuckers, you know, like they're cannibal fantasies. Just those two words together is pretty it's, funny. To I me. mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you learn new things every day, you know, yeah. people are into this stuff. I mean, like from I mean, the Winklevoss twin guy <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from the yeah. Facebook movie. It's like that dude eats people. What the fuck? Yeah. But, uh, it's but it's one it is one thing when a fantasy becomes like something they actually play out you know so it seems like uh, people can fantasize about anything they want right so like if the publicist quit does that mean that they're uh, it's because it went past that line or right. I don't know I mean we don't know Jeff I mean like I said Jeff has been following this more closely the but uh, the the general consensus is that. Um, <laughs> turn your Google alerts on for army hammer, uh, because there might be some, <laughs> some very <laughs> sorted information well, about to come I'll, out. I'll find the handle of the person that's posting. Cause they're okay. posting like mad stories every day. And it's pretty much the only use of the account. Like they have like four pictures and it's basically just to do this and they're doing Q and A's. So they're talking about like, people are like, you, you still have feelings for your abuser. Like I've also been abused and have feelings that I feel shame of. For my abuser and nobody talks about this subsect of abuse so like thank you for coming out because this person is still she still considers herself his like slave and submissive and like currently currently and she told him that it's like years ago that if he ever takes her to court that's going to be fulfilling the fantasy because she will be able to get back at him and it's like part of the Dom thing. So if he takes her to court, he knows that she's going to get off on it. And the longer the process takes, the better for her. So she doesn't mind at all. She's like turned on by taking him to court because she's Dude. taking the power back. That is about as postmodern as it gets. Absolutely. I was going to say. It's crazy. <laughs> like this, it's literally like a fucking Charlie Kaufman movie. I'm a in, little bit disappointed. I was going to say, uh, Lars von Trier is probably writing a screenplay right now. <laughs> yeah. 
Jesus. Yeah. I don't know, he right. might be busy with his like Nazi fetishism that's coming back into fashion. <laughs> yeah, I guess this so. Is, this is the baking soda guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he invented baking the soda. The baking soda guy. Arm and Arm and Arm. Yeah. <laughs> No, oh, but like his name is that. His dude. name is that. Like he he is connected to Arm and Hammer. I never thought of that. I never thought of it. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's weird. I don't know, man. Um, he's definitely uh, not coming back strong. I feel. No, call me by your name. Was- don't call me by your name, please. He better eat all the leftovers before the fucking <laughs> FBI shows up. You know what I mean? <laughs> Clean house. Oh my god, we're we're laughing now, but like some absolutely fucking up. insane shit up. is gonna yeah. drop, and it's like not gonna be funny anymore. It's uh, not. No, they were gonna have to cut half the episode before, yeah. before this episode comes out. Like the day before it comes out, like when you finish editing it, Aaron, it's gonna be like it's gonna be it's four, like, yeah, it's gonna be four bodies found four a.m. It's gonna be like a fucking uh, John oh, Wayne Gacy situation nightmare. or something, and then our publicist quits. Yeah, our publicist, <laughs> which is all of us. Are well-paid publicists. Um, so this, I, oh, I had man. this thought um, before we started talking about awful men, but um, when we were talking about like COVID stuff, like, have you guys thought about like how this year and a half, two years, however long COVID is going to be in the public consciousness, like how it's going to be like in in retrospect, like how are people going to look back on these two years? Like culturally, like, like when people watch a TV show filmed in 2020, they're going to know it's 2020 because everyone's going to be wearing a mask or like, like all these like events that have happened. Everyone's wearing a mask. Like I, I just, I, I feel like as a kid, like you look back at some moments in history and like you notice certain aspects and it's like, I don't know. It's just such a, such a fascinating global, like, like the imagery is so global and it's like so pervasive no matter where you look. I don't know. I've thought about that a lot. I don't even know like what question I'm asking, but have you guys thought about that? It's like also, it's also like right now. So it's everywhere, but I think it's going to be kind of like nine 11 where you're like, you get a sense of things changing, like obviously security and the way people travel change. So that's depicted in film and you kind of know, but once you, there's enough space. It'll be like, oh, there's kids that were born in 2020 that are like 18 now mm-hmm. that don't really understand. Like, I feel like I experienced that now on the internet running a meme account because some of like the Gen Z kids don't like 9/11 doesn't like impact them. No, like yeah. it's easier to make jokes about because they're so <laughs> disconnected from it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And I think yeah. in 20 years, like, let's say the pandemic gets under control in 2022, in like 2038, it's going to be like, remember, like some people are going to like, it's going to be lost, the yeah. impact, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah, Stand definitely. Joking about like, um, you know, like morgue, like all the morgues being full and stuff in, oh, yeah. in 2021. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy.
I don't know how it's going to be looked back on because it's still panning out, you know, it's still playing mm -hmm. out. But I, I, uh, I started keeping a journal um, that's like just part of my waking up ritual now. I just write down and I've, I've been sort of trying to keep uh, some um so, like keep it in relation to current events um a part of me is afraid that i'm writing like an anne frank journal you know oh, like no, yeah. <laughs> like it's um uh you know where you're sort of talking about day-to-day -day things but at the same time uh your day-to-day -day is fucked up you know right. like um uh so yeah who knows i i'm a, i'm kind of i'm only doing it so that i can read it later and be like man i had no idea how fucked up things were like i just i just took it as totally you know 200 you know over 300 people died today in la county you know like uh like that was just another day <laughs> it's amazing um, it's you kind of ha yeah. have to put it you kind of have to journal and put it down to process it because yeah. i have this problem i've been doing so like i kind of process my thoughts out loud so like i'll talk to my girlfriend about one like thing and obsess about it out loud and work it out yeah. and she's kind of burnt she's a therapist so she'll be kind of burnt out after work and i'm talking to her for an hour about like one little thing that i've been thinking internalizing all day but i haven't worked it out until i say it to her yeah. and i'm like in therapy and like the therapist is talking to me about journaling and it's like i need to figure out a way to contain and work things out where i'm not like like making it someone else's labor right you know? yeah serena so serena's gonna send you an important. invoice at the end of the week we're, for all, all the hours on it. you talk to her yeah. we're deducting it from the groceries <laughs> yeah but, right uh, <laughs> it evens out <laughs> it, it, it makes sense but yeah it's interesting because you kind of have to it's like you, like a lot of people didn't have to think about processing day-to-day -day life until now you know yeah and didn't know how to work it out and have to find a way to work it out that's healthy yeah yeah it's crazy like i feel like i've i'm well prepared for things like isolation and quarantine because i you know um i had a suicide attempt in 2015 and then a year later i got hit i was i got in a motorcycle accident i got you know like crushed by a car my you know, they still talk about amputating my left leg now when I go to the doctor. You know, they're like, you know, they make great prosthetics, you know. So I was in a wheelchair for two years in a little box. Like, I feel like I'm prepared. Like, I know how to to be alone. You know, I know I'm real good at it now. And, um, you know, the uh, but I think a lot of people that were forced into this position now, um, that aren't used to being alone. They aren't used to being faced with themselves. Uh, they're not used to being without all the com social commotion and, and whatnot. And, and a lot of them freaking out or like hitting the bottle really hard or, you know, it's, um, I feel like, like I, I quit, like in March, I quit smoking cigarettes. You know, I was a, I, I smoked over almost two packs a day. Mm. Uh, and oftentimes it'd be filterless cigarettes. Like right. I just loved smoking and I, I just quit um, just because I was too lazy to go to the store to buy a pack. You know, I was just <laughs> like, yeah, I don't feel like it. Perks of and staying just, inside all day. I, I quit. I quit in March. I quit in March also. And I switched to the jewel, which yeah. is like, I also bought the nicotine gum. Cause yeah. I was like, I can 
do the jewel until that becomes a problem. And then the gum you taper off. So right. that's like my system, but it's like now the jewel, it's so accessible. It's like all day and it's hard to be like, okay, I'm ready to go to the gum and get off of it. So I really yeah. need this. This thing's the fucking devil. So at least with cigarettes, I'd go outside. Yeah, so I'd yeah. smoke less because I'd have to go out. <laughs> it's a vitamin D at least. <laughs> and there's a little bit of shaming because you're like, oh, I smell like smoke now. And like, um, this is going to be bad for my teeth. And like, I'm going to go kiss my girlfriend and she's going to be like, Ew, you taste like smoke, like an ashtray. She pushed me because right in the beginning, it was so bad in New York and the initial, it was so confusing what it does to the body. And she was like, you can't, cause I was a pack plus smoker a day also. And she's right. like, you can't compromise your lungs right now because it's so risky. And I was still smoking weed. She's like, you can keep smoking weed, but like cigarettes are like, it's too much all day. Like weed, you smoke like once you wait a couple hours, you smoke again. It's not like every minute you're going out for a cig. Like you might be when you're trapped at home all day. Right. And you're yeah. stressed. <laughs> right. Of course. I mean, uh, nicotine is, is just, I, I just felt like, um, I was like, well, I'm spending all this money on cigarettes and I've been wanting to stop anyway. And, uh, I just felt like, um, I had to get the nicotine out cause I, I was addicted. It wasn't even enjoying it anymore. I just, right. you know, as soon as I put out a cigarette, my body was like beginning to, um, jones for another cigarette you know yeah. like, it was just mm -hmm. a matter of time before i'd have to go get another one so i was like i just have to get the nicotine out and it'll be you know maybe it'll be rough for three weeks maybe i just i'll just distract myself with other things um and it wasn't bad but like i quit smoking and drinking and mm. weed all in march and i haven't had anything since then but though i guess the main reason was because i thought um I didn't want it to, I didn't want to have any crutches, you know, that were, cause I know if I allowed myself to drink, I would probably, uh, it would become a depressant for me. You know, like I would just get fucking wasted and you know, totally. And just, sure. you know, yeah. Um, I, I think I had to just, I, the only way to do it was just to go cold Turkey with everything, you mm -hmm. know, and I haven't done anything yet. And I feel like no, I mean, you're I'm, doing I'm, great I'm, a year, man. Congrats. Like it's, it's February, you know? Uh, and I never swore it off. You know, I could do it tonight, but I just, um, and I still have weed and booze and stuff. I just, uh, yeah, I guess I'll, I'm just kind of riding it out. See how long I'll go. I'm afraid a uh, part of me knows, just knows my, I know myself too well. Like uh, I have an addictive personality. I'm going to, as soon as I have one cigarette, I'm buying a pat, a carton, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Same. That's why my partner, I was like, you know, I kind of want like, it's like, I should have like a, a pack so I could like, if I want to celebrate, like something good happens, like I get a job interview or some shit, I can like have like a celebration, but it's like, man, I just know I'm going to smoke that whole pack the first fucking day. Yeah. And then you're going to get oh, you I need a cigar or something. They're I need a, awful. I need a backup pack in I case cigars, I blow through yeah. this first one. It's terrible. <laughs> the, well, the rule of thumb um, for any addiction is like, uh, you never reward yourself with the thing you gave up, you know? Right. Like if mm -hmm. you, you kick heroin, you don't, you aren't like, I went a year without heroin. I'm going to fucking <laughs> shit up tonight. Yeah, you know? no you way. Reward yourself with something else, like the money, like the money you saved from not smoking, like buy yourself a new guitar or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, 
that's that's my rule of thumb at least i don't know if where i heard that um it's true i've never been in aa or na or anything but um i know it works for some people but i just i i i think i'm so weird that i kind of get off on giving up addictions <laughs> like it's that's sort of a rush like i still I challenge really, yeah yeah kind of i yeah i like challenges i think that's what it is like even you know when i was a teenager i'd be like i remember one time being like i'm not going to say um i'm sorry or thank you for like three weeks or something you know i'd say things like that right. you know or i'm only going to write with my left hand for the next month you mm-hmm. know um like i would well, make these little challenges for myself um yeah it's like easy like easy shit is boring like if you if everything is easy your whole life and you're not challenged then it's not interesting like it no. it would be easy for you as a musician to like hear a band and be like i like this band sound and then start a band that sounds exactly the same and release an album that sounds exactly the same as the previous album just doing like your own worship of the pre of the band you liked. It's like, you might, you might be all right. You might get some fans, but at the end of the day, who would listen to you over the fucking main (laughs) person, the the version you're ripping off, you know, it's real short sighted attitude to making, making work. Right. It's, it's, you know, that it's, you, you were talking about, (laughs) you're talking earlier about, uh, you would never want to sound like Black Sabbath when yeah. in fa- when there's a whole genre of music called sludge metal, which is Black Sabbath yeah. worship. <laughs> and yeah. listen, that's how I got into metal. It's all pretty good. It, it's all good. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's bad, but mm-hmm. um, it's how I got into metal in the first place. But uh, it's it just is a different attitude to to making work, right? If if, it is. If, it's just a different attitude. Yeah, and you I know, mean, I think there's something. There is on the flip side. There is something interesting to um, taking something that already exists and putting your own spin on it, or also trying mm-hmm. to replicate doing a master study or something like that. It's a whole other thing. But like you were oh, saying, yeah. like when when you were working, uh, you know, in Slint, that was the opposite of what was desired. You were trying to make the most unique thing you could. Um, and it just is a completely different way of thinking about making work. I think. But the thing is like, um, we all believe in stealing music, you know, like that's how music evolves. You, you, it's in pieces. Um, you know, but you should, I think, and like, every band I've ever been in, like uh, that's any good, at least like always stole from somebody, you know, Slint stole from plenty of bands. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, th- I think the, the thing is, it's like, you do make it yours. You just have to be so, you know, sort of cherry pick from a billion, the, all the stuff that you like. And then uh, if you put it all into one package and present it through your filter of, you know, your personal preferences, it's going to be unique, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that's how I feel about Interpol. Cause it's obviously like joy division was yeah. like uh, an obvious inspiration, but you know, those first two Interpol albums fucking like when I heard them, I was like, this shit fucking rules. You know, I was, yeah. I don't know, 14 when I heard like antics came out or something. And I was like, yeah. This is very cool. And I tried to go see them um, at, I had like my parents drive me to the downtown Fort Lauderdale venue to see them. And I had done the same thing a week before 
to see Death Cab for Cutie on like the transatlanticism tour and bought tickets at the door as like a 14 year old. So a week right. later, I tried to do that for Interpol and it was Interpol and Q and not you sold out at the door. Couldn't get in. Yeah. And uh, it's like, you know, I, I like that too. Like, you know, you have a vibe, you have a vision, but you put your own stamp on it and it's not just like a worship project, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's not like, um, like like you definitely have an influence like they like the yeah that first album i was blown away when i heard it and when i saw them live too uh because uh but they did they did modernize it like you could they wore their influences on their sleeve but you could also tell that they uh that they had their own sound and now like all their all their current stuff it sounds like interpol it doesn't sound like joy division it doesn't sound like any other band it just sounds like interpol mm-hmm. right um, and that's the i i think uh, that's the things like music should be stolen. <laughs> um, but it should, uh, I, I think if you're true to you, you know, if you're true to yourself, you, uh, or like have it, if you do it the way that you want and not like try to imagine like, well, what would Lou Reed do? You know, like right, uh, if, right. if, if you, if you like, uh, yeah, put your own spin on it, it's gonna, it's gonna sound unique. It's gonna be unique cause it's gonna be updated, uh, to our current culture. Like I, um, I do, I've been doing cover songs online and stuff and, and I just do it my, like, I, I only, I dumb it down to a way that I understand it. You know, like I could do a lightning Hopkins song, but I'm, I'm not going to do all the flourishes and stuff that he did. I'll make just do the basics and just like the, some of the vocals or some of the lyrics, but I can't sing like him. I can't play like him. It's never going to sound Mm-hmm. Are there like more like Bill Callahan cover collabs to come? Cause that last one oh. in December was really, really great. Oh, um, the one that I did with, uh, Will and Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. They've been putting one out at like every week. And I think, I don't know if I'm supposed to say how many or there are or when it ends. Oh, yeah. no, it's, no, it's uh, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't, I, I don't, I don't know like what's, what everyone knows and what, what people don't well, know, but tie, tying all that back with will and stuff like that. It's like him. It's like, he never rips anybody off, but he writes songs that are timeless. It's like Johnny cash did. I see a darkness. Like he wrote a song that, you know, anyone could play and it's timeless. Like cash yeah. proved that. And that's crazy to me. Like as a Bonnie Prince, Billy, Will Oldham fan, that that took off. It's like, you know, same with like the yeah. Trent Reznor hurt Johnny Cash thing. It's like, it's almost more famous as a Johnny Cash song, which blows my fucking mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The source material is so good. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, Johnny Cash was a, you know, a great songwriter and he was like a magnet for, he knew a good song when he heard it and the, <laughs> talk about legitimizing one's art, you know, Johnny oh, yeah. Cash. Cash covers one of your songs, you're pretty. You're pretty good. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean from an album that you played on, so it's got to feel yeah, fucking right. cool too, you know. Yeah, and I, I was like co-producer on that record, I guess. Mm. But I don't, I don't know what I did really. But we just, <laughs> we just we just hung out and made a record. <laughs> yeah. you know, well, you also were on Joya, which is like my favorite. Like I saw Will play one time, and it was at the record store that we had the Misfits records at before I worked there. And uh, it was great. He was with the Cairo gang and I think Angel Olsen was still playing with him at the time. And uh, this girl passed out next to me during the performance, which obviously 
will it's like a quiet in like record store in-store performance she like fell on the cd rack next to me and knocked like all the cds over and like the whole like set had to stop for a minute and like she went outside oh wow it was pretty crazy he might even remember it but uh i talked to him at the end he signed my palace record and he was so nice but like you know i feel like maybe it's just like the louisville scene but like the way you've interacted with us and talking to Will that time, it's like, you guys really appreciate the fans. Like nothing goes to, nobody gets like rock star head or anything, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, um, yeah. David Grubbs is like that. I, f- I feel like, um, yeah, maybe it, there is a Louisville quality to it. That's, that's another thing I was talking to uh, Corey Rusk, the guy from touch and go about recently where I was, I was kind of, um, just kind of venting about my, uh, uh, about Los Angeles and this whole, like, everybody's got a script and your Uber driver gives you his card. Um, if, um, and like everybody wants to be the next big thing and you're talking to somebody, but they're looking over your shoulder to see if there's somebody famous they could be talking to. And you know what I mean? Like the, the whole, the, all that sort of ambitious stuff is really icky to me. And I, and I said to him, uh, that, I kind of, I, I think I miss Louisville where nobody's ambitious, you know, like, right. and I have nothing against ambition, but like, um, it's when you become, uh, uh, I guess I do have something against a certain <laughs> type of ambition, you know, cause, um, it seemed like when I was growing up in Louisville, like if you, if you got too big for your britches, you know, like people would put you in your place, you know, they'd right. be like, uh, who, you know, who do you think you are? You know, you're, you, you do some great music or whatever, but like you still have to wipe your ass like everybody else, you know, it's not like. <laughs> I, I was going to ask t- tying that all together. It's like, it kind of reminds me, it's like Brit, like secretly working under another name on the pod breeders record. Yeah. Like, not even wanting credit or like to be associated with it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Brit definitely took that to another level. Um, because like even, I think he, for a while and I, he took it to me, it was too far. Like I'm not, I'm definitely not that way where he thought, um, that if you made, and I, he never came out and verbalized this or anything, but, uh, I, by his actions, this is how I took it was that he, if you make money from music, it's tainted. It's not pure anymore, you know? Um, which is why like after Slint and, and Palace Brothers and stuff, he went on to play with like a, a blues band downtown where he was like the only white kid at these, you know, at these bars. And, um, and it was like, definitely not for money, definitely not for, you know, is music because of the love for music for mm-hmm. sure. It was for him, you know, that's like what he yeah. wants. Like, you know, you see, I'm sure like, especially wanting to be in that like jazz, like blues kind of scene with like people, it's like, they, that's just pure enjoyment. If someone happens to record it, that's cool. If you're in the room, every night's different. It's just energy. And I think that's a different kind of, fulfillment than some musicians have like it's not about the fake like wanting any type of recognition it's just like you need to do it and that's also that's also pure craftsmanship like if you're playing jazz and and blues that's pure craftsmanship like at the end of the day like everything and like like when when you in in that in the in the breadcrumb trail doc and and what you were talking about earlier when you know all of your focus was on practice and mastering the songs 
what better genre or scene to do that than jazz and, and blues? Like you're literally, it's, it's about mastery. Totally. At least in my experience, you know, I've played a and little of that, too, but like, and, and metal I, too, in its own way. Yeah, yeah. I have a soft spot for the metal bands for sure, because man, they, they have, um, they have the most gear. They have so much stuff, <laughs> yeah. like the biggest drum sets, um, the hugest amps, the stacks, like, yeah. uh, the, the all insane talent, you know, like uh-huh. technique wise, they're like some other level and they can do all the double kick, like all these polyrhythms and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they, they get paid the least and they have to, they have the more stuff to carry and it's harder to tour. You can make, you can, you know, you, <laughs> they're like unsung heroes to me man i grew up um, i'm a drummer uh it, uh i haven't played in a lot in a while because i live in new york and i can't afford a, to keep a drum set in my apartment but i grew up with uh rush and neil peart and yeah, yeah, i thought peart. having the biggest drum set possible was the coolest thing you could possibly do <laughs> but then i started playing with my band and then i quickly pared it down to like a four piece kit. I was like, I don't know about all these symbols. It's very heavy. I I don't really know about that. But as soon as you, as soon as you have to move the gear, uh, you're like, let's strip this down a little bit. I don't know about that. Looking at the singer who doesn't have to carry a thing. You're just like taking apart all these tiny little symbols. That's right. Yeah. 15 splash symbols. Yeah. metal and gear like i saw you sharing your story recently a picture of you in like a robe with sun and Stephen o'malley like did you did you like play with them uh on a tour or something i well i did um i played i i opened for them on two tours uh playing solo and they asked me to play on uh you know for their encore or like their last song sometimes and and sometimes i would do it um and yeah, I, I would wear the robe and uh, and try to. <laughs> I don't know. I, I played through my tiny little amp and stuff, but it was, um, yeah, it was great. You know, like they were. Yeah, I I, I loved seeing Sun every night, and I I feel like I understood him a little more every time. Oh I saw yeah. Him. yeah, it's like an it's like an experience. Like it's you have to. It's like in your whole body, it's that yeah. the sound, you know what I mean? And that's yeah. like where, that's where I kind of like, my love of metal grew was like experimental ambient or like droney. Like I love Boris and like what they do yeah. as musicians, like every album reinvent the sound, but it always is Boris. It's like, that's yeah. some fucking genius stuff. Mm-hmm. I, um, I love that. That's sort of been my vibe, I guess, where um, I... I guess the whole reason I started doing solo stuff was because I was curious of like, I didn't know what I added to bands, you know, like I would, I played in all these different bands, but I didn't know what, like who, what is my sound, you know, like I, what am I contributing? Um, And so I started doing solo stuff where I played all the instruments and wrote all the songs. And, and I, and then I started doing stuff where I would make these parameters, like, um, like with Ariel M it was like, it's uh it's instrumental it's a four-piece band it's all in standard tuning you know no effects except for turning up the amp you know um and it would and like what happens like what can i make with that with that with that as the parameters and then for another record it would be like okay okay it's um four piece but everything all the strings are tuned to the same note or something you know yeah. like i would just mm-hmm. make all these little limits you know or and i, I can only I did that one in Pro Tools. Like this one's in 
logic or garage band or something, mm-hmm. you know, um, like what, what, what am I going to come out with? And if I, and I did a piano record a couple years ago and it's all just to find out what my sound is, you know, like, I don't, I'm still not sure what, what, what it is that I contribute, you know? Um, well, that's the thing is like all those projects, it's like, I love the Ariel M stuff and it's so different than some like the Papa M stuff. And it's like, that's the thing about being the person that makes it is like all these projects and like albums and different approaches you're trying to figure out your sound and all the fans they don't care about the genre like genre is fucking stupid like yeah they 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 are coming back because the thing that you're trying to identify is the thing that they love about it but you can't explain it's like you know the touch that you have to it and certain artists just have that you know where you're just like you hear it and you're like that's this person like unmistakably even though you can't define what the little thing is that is giving you the intuition that it's them you know right well i mean i don't think what i do is special though like i mean i'm i'm a unique entity just like all of us are you know so um like even with you know what i what i do is like this i I think trying to define who that person is by take like taking away these layers or whatever uh is it's not it's just what anyone would find you know it's like everyone just has to be themselves you know i don't know if i'm making sense now um no you are because like then i think about something it's like i know you've I'm not sure if you like want to go there, but I know you've like talked about being in like Zwan and it's like, yeah, Billy Corgan is very like controlling to every aspect, but it's gotta be because he's so worried about what people are thinking. Like I can imagine that it's like crippling and you know, and which I don't get because a lot of people that have that, it's like, he's so open about like, Trump and being like Republican and his wrestling and all that other stuff. But it's like, dude, you, you try to act like you don't care, but then, you know, every single person that's worked with you says you like smother projects because you need to make sure everything is the way you want it. And it's all about how it's going to be perceived, which is to me why, like, like I love this one record. I thought it was great because a bunch of musicians I love had involvement and I like, you know, the early, pumpkin stuff because like some of it is just good songwriting but it's like at a certain point like when i worked at the record store i think oceana came out or whatever that blue album cover and the one before Uh with the statue of liberty it's like i don't know man like it's just like do a new thing like it's just you yeah over the smashing pumpkins yeah. Like they did their thing. Like it's the same with Weezer. It's like the good stuff Over you put it. out is always going to be there. But like you know what you're doing now is not that, and it just feels like a money machine. You're just cranking it out. Oh uh, yeah. Doing something. You know. I don't know. I think. I mean, yeah. You sh- I don't think people should underestimate the listener. You know, if you're if you're doing it for the money or it's a, as a business move, I think people are pretty smart, you know, they can, you can tell that. Um, and when something's an honest, you know, like, uh, an honest statement, I think the listener can figure that out too, you know? So yeah. I, I don't know. That's, that's one of the things with Slind is that we never underestimated our listeners, you know? Mm-hmm. And were, you know, you, you yeah. probably weren't at a point where you were surrounded by like labels and yes men that told you everything you, you turned in oh, was yeah. 
they're like, oh, this is great because they have a schedule and they want to release something. But, you know, you really probably, it's like an ego stroke where then you run in that direction and it's like, dude, it's not really great. You're, you're, you're listening to the wrong people is the thing. Yeah, we had the opposite. <laughs> it was like, right. um, All you have is yeah, yourselves I mean, to fight against, right? You're trying to yeah, impress each other. Was like, totally, yeah. And like, you know, Albini was our hero and Slint played with Big Black and Louisville. Um, so this was like our, this was like really important to us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, someone, uh, Brian knew Steve from Squirrel Bait and all this, but uh, I remember we played and, we hadn't played many live shows and uh, Brian decided to play an acoustic guitar that night for some reason. And we thought it'd be funny if we all wore minor threat shirts and <laughs> uh, had the X's on the hand, played the songs that we had. And afterwards, Steve didn't like it. He was like, um, it's like, yeah, it sounded like uh, King Crimson or, uh, <laughs> Or, or yes. Instead, it sounded like yes or something, and, and we're all just like, "What? You've never heard you guys prog." Sound like yeah, totally. You just thought we were like a prog band, and like, like pre tweeds, you know. And, but and then we were, Steve heard Bonnie Prince Billy and was like, "Oh man, what is this?" Yeah, <laughs> it's like acoustic instruments. Yeah, um, yeah. Eventually, it became our biggest fan. You know, it was like uh, so. Well, that was the thing in, in, in the documentary that I loved was his initial impression of Brian on washer was wrong. And he, he, he said it was listener error. So he, you know, he, maybe it was listener error of the same time period. And he was wrong about you guys pulling out the acoustics wearing the minor threat shirts Should bring it up to him. And maybe he'll with time, he'll change his response. Right. Well, I mean, we were kind of risky in that sense, you know, because it wasn't cool to be a quiet band or to play quiet songs with a clean guitar sound or just to have spoken word even and not and not be screaming or yelling, you know. Um, so, like, to make yourself vulnerable at all was really uh, a sign of wimpiness, you know, <laughs> like, um, uh, and that just, you know, every, that just didn't happen back then. And so, like, I think that's, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm glad that we just didn't give a shit, you know, <laughs> like, and, you know, I don't think we cared enough what people thought to, um, to like have that affect us. We were very, we were at peace with our masculinity enough to, to be able to be feminine or something. Sure. <laughs> I don't That's know. the move. It's a huge, you know? it's a huge thing mean, with, with, with rock music too, especially that, you know, I feel like if you grow up in, a, in like New York or LA, you have this like predetermined, uh, uh, you know, template whether you're going to fill it in or reject it, but you're still up against something that already exists. You know, you're you're reckoning with that. It's presented in front of you. I wonder if grow up in a different city, um, and the people you're surrounded with, they allow you to focus on more important things like practicing your songs and yeah, <laughs> writing <yeah>. interesting music. <laughs> I think right. the environment is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like um. If if you grow up in LA and it's like it's all about like uh, getting bigger and um, having more of a following and all this stuff, like uh, um, you're gonna, it's gonna be different than like growing up in Louisville where it was if your if your best friend liked it, then it was a success, you know. Right. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, it's um, 
I, I'm really happy that I grew up in Louisville for sure. Like I, I do think that uh, um, there wasn't, it wasn't competitive in that way or if, or if it was, we just, we felt so alien from everything around us, you know, like um, there was, and there, we were also super bored, you know, like what else <laughs> were we gonna do? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It shows, like, you know, the environment and only in places like that, I feel like you could gel with people and not worry about that. Like, you seem to have made lifelong friends. And I feel like very few people nowadays keep in touch with people from their childhood. So it's like, clearly something was working on a level that a lot of people don't have in their lives right now or, you know. Even then, I'm sure a lot of people didn't have. But I mean, you're you're you probably still have some childhood friends that you talk to. Yeah. yeah, sure. I have you know I have a couple friends. You know, people move to different cities, and there's like levels of communication. Like maybe you talk to someone every couple months. Maybe you talk to you have like a group chat. But you know, right. I feel like there are a lot of people that just like move on and cre- like, especially now with social media, they create like a digital identity that has nothing in common with who they were in high school because things move so fast nowadays and trends and, you know, people, I feel like before all of this obsession and instant gratification, it's like you found punk and and you stayed with it for life because you fucking loved it. You're not like, Oh, I'm into punk. And then the next, like the SoundCloud rapper thing is big. And then you're suddenly wearing like a different trend. You like found something and you really like dedicated your fucking taste to it for not that people don't change, but you know, I feel like lifestyle wise, it like it builds into your personality differently. Yeah. I think it was definitely an attitude more than any kind of genre of music for sure. It was like a a way of looking at, um, it was like a worldview or something like, uh, because I, you know, I, I started off in metal, like, um, in the shredding world. And then I, and then, and I liked some, like, I liked pistols and dead Kennedys and stuff like that, but I didn't, I thought I didn't really think of it as real music. To me, it was just funny. It was really funny music. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then once I started like playing it and got into that world and I, um, and I felt like it was a family. Um, I realized that it doesn't, it's, it's really like, uh, it really was an attitude. It wasn't a genre of music. It was like, uh, you could listen to Robert Johnson and you could listen to, um, tiny Tim or something like, um, and you could listen to minor threat and it was all cool. Like it, it, there was no, uh, it was just about, you know, it was just like sort of all encompassing, like the, it was, there wasn't like one way to do it. It's more like in like how you approach things or how you view things that that was more important. Sure, I'm like a proponent of like there's good music in every genre. If you want to find it, you'll look for it and you'll find it. Like 
I, as a record collector, like when I started buying records, it was very important to me to have like a diverse collection for any mood that could strike me. And I would make like mixed CDs and tapes and compilations and stuff that there was no genre or theme. It was just good music all together. And that's why I can't get behind people that are like, oh, I like everything except this genre. And I'm like, well, you there's something in that genre. You just aren't interested enough in music as a whole to like spend the time finding it. Yeah. And that's like a personality thing. And I, people that really like music, like I don't get why people wouldn't do that. Music or people that say they don't like music or aren't into music. It's like... Yeah. It's it's everyday life. You you have to experience it. You do on some level. Like I can't yeah. understand how you say you don't. I, think, I don't know. I it think, doesn't make sense. To I think me. that attitude comes from not knowing music, not like knowing musicians, not going to see live shows a lot. Like like if if you only consume music as a product, like a like a personality trait, right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's simply an object that you're bringing into your possession. Right. And it's, you're, you're reflecting it off of yourself to convey what your life, you know, your personality to others. But if you meet any genuine musician in any genre, you're going to get the same level of artistry and like, you know, worksmanship and whatever you want to call it. Like, so how can you, how can you it's 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 silly to single out any one genre as being like not legitimate you know there's gonna be you know even if even in stuff that you wouldn't normally like if you i'm I'm guarantee you if if someone who was disparaging a certain genre sat down with a music like a, a, a genuine musician of that genre and 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 had a conversation with them that who could walk away and not at least appreciate what they were doing because you know it's it's usually just you know if you're if you're told that a certain genre is not legitimate or uh, whether it's a product of like sexism or racism or whatever you want to call it if you're just dismissing genres or artists like completely out of hand as soon as you start yeah. to interrogate where that assumption comes from yeah then I was going to say apart. The, the Twitter joke is like, now that you're saying this, I'm tying it together, is like everything except rap and country. That's like the joke. Like, like It's racism it's, and it's classism. Like That's what well, it is. I was going to say, because do you guys think, because it's like country music obviously came from like folk and blues, yeah. which were black artists, and rap is a black, like, uh, has it like a history. Like it all came from a certain place. Do you think that even that joke is like pushing like unconscious racism? Well, that, that's where that attitude still. comes from. It's where yeah. that. And, and listen, I get if you don't like radio music, that's one thing. But to dismiss an entire genre out of hand, if you're saying that rap music isn't real, and I feel like I'm talking to like a seventh grader right now. You know what I mean? This, this is what yeah, I was like right. in seventh grade, right? Like, like, well, like, like someone burned me a mix CD that had a Kanye West song on it. I'm like, oh shit, this is actually good i'm, yeah. I'm going to allow myself to to actually listen closely to this but the whole rap and country shit it's either you hate you you don't <laughs> you hate black people or and you hate poor people you know what i mean like and right. and and listen i get the whole co- country in particular the the whole country industrial complex is like a thing so like i get if and and also with hip hop too like i get if you listen to radio music and that's not what you're into but uh that's it's like listening to like Nickelback and Creed 
not that those bands are bad or deserve slander in any way, but it's like listening to those bands and think and saying that, you know, (laughs) rock music, you know what I mean? It's just the very tip of the iceberg. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I'm talking to like my younger cousin or something. I feel like I'm like, we should having a hypothetical conversation with like a seventh grader right now. I think there's a good opportunity to start a band called rap and country. Yes. Nobody will like us by default. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so we start off as outsiders. We, you know, we build our way in as it happens, and then, then everyone says they, they love rap and country. Yes, you know it's, it's I mean? going to be hard to break into the the SEO aspect mm. of that, like showing up in the Google searches. Yeah. <laughs> True, everyone's going to hate us at first. There's, there's yeah. musical projects that are like a one word word that's like impossible to search. Like growing up was so hard to find, like. <laughs> It's like we had Tim Kinsella on not that long ago and he had that project Owls and it's like try to fucking Google Owls as like a 15 year old and they're like how do how do I track this down you have to like find some obscure web forum where someone will send you like a media upload with a <laughs> yeah. torrent or something yeah. but uh David I was going to say uh we kind of have like a, a a thing that we've done in the past with musicians that come on where we go oh and we God. find a, a night, a nightcore version of something that they've made. I don't know if you're familiar with nightcore as a genre as whole at, at, in general. What is it? it <laughs> That's Aaron a great Jake, question. Answer the definition of nightcore. <laughs> Let's try to it's, define it. It's like this. Um, it's the genre of music that is characterized by the songs being sped up and pitched up for the most part that's that's really where it lies so normally you um, just take any song you speed it up and pitch it up almost in like a chipmunk way but not quite it's more like it's really hard to say it comes but from it's, like it's anime very, yeah it thing, comes from anime like, i think like japanese oh, okay. anime yeah my son's really into stuff like that he's 11 <laughs> but he, uh, a lot of the a lot of the covers they'll like on YouTube, they'll like have like anime visuals going on. And the best ones do like a little bit of a remix and it's not just solely like pitched up. They like can make it interesting. Oh, wow. What, what is it called again? Night core. Yeah. Night core. Night core. Yeah. yeah. And, uh. and we, I tried, I tried to search for slint night core versions and you know, it's <laughs> sometimes we find some, sometimes we don't, sometimes there's a million. And I, I, I picked one that, I tried, you know, some slint songs are long, so even pitched up and sped up, it's still like six minutes. <laughs> so I tried to, I, I tried to pick one that was like Swans, engaging and like, you know, not not too long, but also did like the remixify where it's not just like sped up two times. Yeah, I can't wait. we're looking for artistry here. Like we we're saying, we're, lo- we're listen, looking for artistry. I listened to the. I listened to like three seconds of it because I also <laughs> and sent it to Aaron to share, uh-huh. and I, yeah, I, I want I want it to be a first impression, so I didn't I didn't take it all in yet. Okay, so we're gonna experience it all together. Uh, this sounds great. Fresh ground. Jacob, could you uh, enable the share screen, please? Of course, I can. This is a very wow. special moment. Every time we have a musician on and we we find a nutcore version of their songs, it's a truly special moment to share. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. Share this. It's, it's one of the best parts. Yeah. Have you? Has anyone else heard it, or have you got? I have not no, listened to this. We specifically did not listen to it, and as you can I see, found it, yeah, oh. I found it le- leading up to the podcast. It was kind of like I put it off until right before we recorded. 
to not tempt myself to go back and listen. <laughs> uh, thank you. It's, so as you can it's see, uh, views. For, yeah, for, for the listeners out there, <laughs> it's, it is the Spiderland album cover, but with anime faces instead of I, re- I recognize the guy on the right. I don't, <laughs> I don't know who these characters are from. Do, Jacob, do you know who they are? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Anyway, this has 84 views. It was uploaded on May 12th, May 2nd, 2020, and it has four likes. So this is like a deep cut. So, pandemic creation. Pan- yeah, this is a real like pandemic on. creation right here. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's take a listen. This is Washer Nightcore Remix. Already slaps. <laughs> so good. <laughs> this sounds like Portishead. I was gonna say it's got like a Portishead vibe. <laughs> <laughs> like the weekend's about to sample this <laughs> and not pay anybody. I know it's dark outside. Don't be afraid. Every time I ever cry for fear, it's just a mistake that I have made. Wash yourself in your tears and build your church on the strength of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> it's almost yeah, it's almost like a dance track. I know. I love it when they add like an extra like underlying kick drum. Yeah. Like yeah, a 909 yeah. or something under it. Sounds like they added a snare. Yeah, it shows that they like did more than just like speed it up. It's that's the cool part. Mm-hmm. It's like a little bear speed. It's going like a little bit faster, a little bit slower. Yeah, David, you were talking about not being able to play the songs anymore. Try to try to play this version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like um, I'd have to be a flamenco guitarist. Well, that's the thing. So for the new, you guys don't want to just play the same songs if you guys get slint, slint back on tour. Like maybe the, the Nightcore, you guys drop the Nightcore version, then you get Touching Good to release the Nightcore LP version. Yeah, limited limited edition pressing. It's for when you want to listen to Slint, but you're in a hurry. You know? Yeah, I only have, I only have uh, 20 minutes. <laughs> not part of playlist culture. Want to listen to the full album? That's right. But you just do not have the time to fully commit to it. <laughs> you're the Starbucks drive-through on your way to work. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah last and seen nightcore Slint. Fam- <laughs> famous fans of Slint um, frequent Starbucks all. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Someone is all, like all card-carrying members. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they have the gold star or whatever. Whatever that reward system is, it's Starbucks. 
I'm imagining a, a Spiderland CD, like you know how Starbucks has those CD compilations. I'm imagining you're at the mm-hmm. checkout of Starbucks and Spiderland, just like the, just the regular <laughs> album is just like right, right next to Nora Jones. <laughs> yeah, right next to Nora <laughs> Jones, yeah. <laughs> And if it's a Nightcore one, you guys release it like one of those, th- like the three inch promo CDs that are tiny because you don't need that much space. You just condense yeah. it. <laughs> okay. Pretty, pretty sick. Definitely, uh, definitely unique. I, I'm glad that someone found a project during quarantine while everyone was locked up that we could stumble <laughs> upon. That's how I, I feel hope, almost I every single time we find a Nightcore version. Cause like, listen, these people are not doing this for, for clicks. Like these all, yeah. these have under a hundred views. These are just like no name accounts. They're just like making these remixes for the, for the, for the craft. And <laughs> I love sharing share that. with their friends in discord. And, yes, exactly. And if they hear this episode, yeah. they're going to, they're going to like realize how similar they are to the members of Slint in that they're doing it's, it for them. It's all about the craft. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. And they're it's, practicing going to bring everyone a little closer. Yeah. They're all practicing. Yeah. They're at home in FL studio. They're practicing applying that, that pitch shifting plugin mm-hmm. the most yeah. efficiently that they can. So they can make a Nightcore remix in under five minutes. It's all about the craftsmanship. They'll make a nightcore masterpiece. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listeners out there, like, let's get them to over a hundred, a hundred views. Yeah, we only so need like, 20, we only need like twenty 15, more views. Twenty people. Yeah. If we can get twenty can, people to click, I'm going to link this in the description. If you can get twenty people to click mm-hmm. on that link, it's the it'll make you wouldn't download say. a podcast effect. Oh, yeah, yeah let's, it's the bump. Let's all share that link. Let's yeah. get. <laughs> Give them some props. Exactly. It might just push them to make their next remix. Like the motivation, like, oh, people are really fucking like gas them up, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I want the next one. It isn't really. They just, uh, they just run it through. It's like me playing a 33 record on 45 RPM. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dude, I found, I found some of the best uh, music I've ever heard by making that mistake on accident. (laughs) Same. Um, yeah, man, me too. Or playing a forty-five RPM at thirty-three accidentally. I've done that a bunch of times. One of the be- mm-hmm. one of my favorite records I've ever heard in my life. I swear to God, we we're talking about Sludge earlier. Someone found a ch- uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks record of eighties pop songs and played it at like quarter speed or whatever. So uh-huh. it's you can hear the original singers' voices. And oh, it, wow. it is the most intense sludge record you will ever hear in your life. It's like gothy, right? It is it's really cool. goth. It sounds, like, it sounds it. like Paul Bear. I want to play. Oh, yeah, I, I do. I want to. I just want to play a sample of it. We don't have to play it for a while, but yeah. I just. It's so. Hold on. It is pretty sick. I remember. I, I listened to it not that long ago. It I goes so hard. This, Aaron. Um, sludge fest. It's called Sludge Fest. I'm trying to get a track. <laughs> the art. The uh, 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 Heaven is a Place on Earth. Actually, I'm, they have a oh, SoundCloud. Yeah, yeah, that's the one right. I heard, actually. Shit. No timestamps, unfortunately. Dude, these, these oh, yeah. uploaders need to fucking I know. do a little bit more homework for their project, you know? You don't half-ass <laughs> anything. <laughs> I know. That was uploaded on 2015, though, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's... okay. But that does, that's not when it was done. No, it was. Yeah, this is five years ago, 2015. So this okay. is this is my absolute favorite. Just I just want to play the intro because this is the heaviest shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> 
the candle mass intro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the meatiest kick drums of all time. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually um, uh, Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Or no, uh, Phil Collins. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, yeah. Mi- same guy, same guy, Genesis same guy. History. Comments on the sound <laughs> yeah. as well. <laughs> anyway, that's that's it goes on and on. Truly insane stuff. Uh, when I heard that for the first time, I my jaw was on the fucking floor. It was that's amazing, just unreal. <laughs> and and that's that is literally just a Alvin and the Chipmunks record slowed down. That's all that is. There's no. And that's like the that, tempo that they recorded it at, or like the the vocals at least. I'm assuming because it sounds like a normal yeah. person's voice. Like it sounds yeah. like a regular guy singing. Like it. And at, at first, yeah, I, that's, that's what I thought it words. was at first. I thought it was someone pretending to be that like i thought they did covers of the slow and then i just realized oh it's literally just the fucking alvin and the chipmunks 12 inch slowed (laughs) that's all it is and that's what it sounded like to record it if i if i heard that and i never saw the third season of twin peaks i would expect it to look like that sound literally (laughs) literally that is i'm sure like i want to i want to watch david lynch listen to this for the first time Cause like, I mean, it's the pandemic just hit the DMS. Maybe, yeah. you know, you never know. I mean, he's uploading to YouTube every day. I should just, he does. Yeah. He YouTube. does number of the day. Yeah, and Dave, do you, do you watch him? It, Cause he does weather the day report on YouTube every day, like a 30 second video about LA's weather every morning. It's amazing. I, I heard about it. it, but I didn't, I haven't seen it. Yeah. He's great. He's just, sick, every day. It's, it's like a 30 second video. He's like, Today in LA, it's sunny and 55 degrees. Might get up to 63. <laughs> it's just so wholesome. It's great. <laughs> That's great. He's the man. Um, yeah, man. Got to keep busy, you know. Have you guys ever listened to Funeral Doom or any of those bands? Mm-hmm. Funeral Doom, no. Funeral like Doom. Bell Witch uh, kind of stuff? Um, I think they're they're more... Yeah, I don't know what kind of doom they are, but Funeral Doom is sort of... Um, it's to me, to me, it sounds like really early swans, um, where it's, but mm-hmm. there's just like, they'll hit a kick drum and then there'll be all the space and then, and then the snare will hit, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and then the, there'll be a lot more space and then the kick drum again, it's just really Real slow down, painfully yeah. slow, but like really low, like, like cookie monster kind of vocals, mm-hmm. uh, I used to love it though. I would turn it up so loud. You know? I love that stuff. It's great. Yeah. That's Hell yeah. Sick. Yeah. I mean, music like that, like anything that like builds like an atmosphere, that's like, yeah. that's like the that. sweet spot, you know? Yeah. For me, at yeah, least. In the mood for it. Yeah. It's for sure. Like it has to be like a really <laughs> dark, shitty mood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you are um, in that mood, it just hits different. Yeah, it just hits different. That's the music you want. Yep. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, before, do you have anything you want to plug? Like tell people where they can find you? Um, man, I guess just my Instagram. Uh, that's, that's my only connection to the world. 
<laughs> but I, I, I answer, I always write back if anybody writes, even if, um, uh, yeah, even if you're like a, like a hater, sometimes I'll write back to them, but <laughs> luckily I don't get them too often. I hope, I don't think we'll have too many, uh, slint Paho haters, uh, listening to this episode. <laughs> I'm hoping that it's almost entirely, uh, fans. So only nice yeah. messages. I think our demographic, uh, under like appreciates everything that you've put into the world. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think there's going to be any issues there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, thanks for coming on. I was going to say you were so, so nice when I reached out to you and like humble and, you know, uh, very appreciative. And the first thing you said was thank you for thinking of me. And it's yeah. like, I'm so honored because like, you've made so much music that I've listened to you over the years. And it's like, well, thank for sure. you for even like seeing it. Like, you know, some, you know, some musicians don't have the time or aren't really concerned with interacting with their fans. And it's like, so nice to find people that really, really engage with it and like appreciate it. Oh man. Well, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of music, so I know what it's like. And, uh, and I'm, I think that, uh, I don't know. I, I just, um, I, I just think that, uh, it's, if, if somebody, you know, music is not important if there isn't somebody there to appreciate it, you know, <laughs> it's like, right. uh, like, so in with that mindset, it like, I, I could write the great best music in the world, but it doesn't matter if no one hears it. Like, uh, it, the music is only as good as the listener, you know? So, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I can't be, uh, you know, and I can't even do more music without being supported by, uh, people, you know? Um, I mean, I can, but I can't share it. You know? So right. <laughs> I don't know. So I, yeah, I don't understand why I think people have just become complacent and arrogant, you know, and, uh, uh, and they forget what it's like to be a fan. Like, I'm, so I don't know. I also, yeah, yeah it's the punk rock thing again. You know, I'd write a postcard to Ian McKay and he'd write me back. You know, it was mm -hmm. like there was no pretension about it. So, yeah, and um, Danzig too, right? You guys were like pen pals early, right? You wrote yeah. letters. Dude, I, I crazy. He probably wouldn't know who I was, but I would send him 10 bucks and he'd send me a whatever he had lying around, like a poster or something. Well, it's the impact. <laughs> it's like, dude, if who cares if he remembers, like it's the impact yeah. it had. It's like, then you went on to be David Paho. So it's like fucking all worked out, you, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's got, you, you know, know, it pushes you. Like if someone that you respect interacts with you, it's encouraging to keep doing your thing, you know? Yeah. I, I think so. For sure. It's it. No harm comes from it. Mm -hmm. yeah man appreciate it thank you so much for your time and coming on like a lot of fun i feel like we had a great convo it was a great convo awesome well thanks so much yeah. for having me again and and for uh uh like for doing this that's uh, <laughs> you guys are hilarious and i, and, uh, I we, we all have to give props to uh to that song like uh, i'm gonna post about that um I forgot what it's called. Nightcore. Yeah. The night yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll forward you the link. Give them some followers and likes and all that good and stuff. Absolutely. And any band that For you sure. like, just, you know, if you're ever bored, just type the band <laughs> that you like into YouTube and type Nightcore after and you might find some crazy shit. Almost always. <laughs> almost always. <laughs> out there. And it almost always has like 10 views. Like no one has heard it. It's great. It's like, oh, it's, 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 it's the new underground. It's the new yeah. underground. It's the, yeah. 
It's where the crate diggers are yeah. setting their sights. That's exactly true. <laughs> no one actually, um, it's all just sympathy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> Sorry. Um, hey, man. Well, again, what, whatever guys. brings it into the world. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Thanks, thank you. Man, thanks, everybody. See ya. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye. I'm sorry. I miss you.